Okay, this is John 21, 15 through 19. Jesus and Peter. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. In parentheses, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Thanks, Kinsey. Thank you all for being here. My name is not Luigi. It's actually John Trapp. Uh, if any of y'all are thrown off by that, it's, it's me, guys. It's, it's John. Um, thanks for coming to RUF tonight. Happy Halloween. Uh, we were talking at my house with some students on Sunday. Should we do costumes? Should we not? And Elizabeth Kettler was like really emphatic. We should totally do costumes. And so I don't know if she was playing a joke on me because she's not in a costume tonight. But um, you know what? Joke's on you because I'm in my Luigi costume and I'm having a great time. So (laughs) nice try. Thanks for being here. Um, If this is your first time at RUF, a special welcome to you. Um, RUF is a place for skeptics and for believers alike to come um, and see what the Bible has to say about who God is. And uh, we believe that as we see who God is in the Bible, as he reveals himself, that he is a God who meets with skeptics and believers and everyone in between. And we see this, uh, we've seen this this semester specifically through this person named Peter. And as we've gone through the story of Peter in the Gospels, we've seen that sometimes Peter seems to be a really strong believer. He seems to be rock solid. His name Peter means rock. Uh, But there's other times where Peter seems to have lots of doubts. Not only that, there's even times where Peter seems to completely leave and abandon Jesus. And yet, through all these stories, we see through Peter's eyes who Jesus really is. That he's revealed as steadfast and gracious. And so I hope you'll see that tonight, once again, as we look through Peter's eyes at who Jesus is. So would you pray with me, and then we'll dive in. Father, thanks so much for a chance to gather around your word, and we pray that you would bless it, and that we might see more of who you are as we study it. And we ask that the words of my mouth, and that the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So y'all know I like to listen to podcasts. I was listening to one the other day. Um, it's about Halloween. And in it, uh, a a high school teacher named Brian Kett, uh, who's a, a high school biology teacher in L.A., tells a story about his favorite student, this kid named Nathan. And Brian sees a lot of himself in Nathan. You know, he's like, if 
Brian's like, you know, everyone in my school, all of my students, they kind of think that I'm a nerd because I'm super into science and biology, and I think it's really cool. And he said, but I have this one student who also thinks that science and biology is awesome, and it's this kid named Nathan. And so Brian and Nathan love talking about science. They also love talking about their favorite movie, which is Back to the Future, and the, all the Back to the Future movies. And um, one day, the day before Halloween... Mr. Kett is walking the halls of their high school, and he's walking past where Nathan is standing by his locker talking to someone, and he overhears Nathan saying how excited he is because he finally has saved up enough money to come in his Halloween costume tomorrow to school dressed as Marty McFly from the Back to the Future series. So he's got the blue jean jacket, he's got the red puffy vest, he's got the white Nikes. And as Mr. Kett is walking by and he hears Nathan say this, he kind of just winces because he realizes and he knows that at that high school, Nathan may not understand this yet because he's in ninth grade, but literally nobody dresses up in a Halloween costume in this high school. And maybe you were having that that question even today before you came to RUF. Should I wear this costume or not? Like, am I going to be the only person there? Chrissy was asking me that as I left our house dressed as Luigi. I was like, it'll be fine. I totally felt, by the way, like I was in Mario Kart because I was driving my car (laughs) dressed like this. Anyway. um, Where was I? So, okay. (laughs) So Mr. Mr. Kett is like, man, I, I don't really know what to do. Nathan's excited about, about dressing up. So he, he comes up with a plan. It's really the only plan that's going, to, that's going to save Nathan from being publicly humiliated. Mr. Kett also has to wear a costume. But he decides not to wear just any costume. He decides to wear the same costume as Nathan. But he's going to wear a much different version of the costume a worse version of the costume. So he goes to Goodwill after school. He finds a blue jean jacket. He, he can't really find the red puffy vest, but he finds a red life preserver, like a life jacket, and he gets that. And then he can't find the cool white Nikes, so he gets some white orthopedic shoes like an old lady would wear. And he goes home and he cuts out like a, a, a black Nike swoosh with construction paper and tapes it on to the orthopedic shoes. And so the next day... When everyone comes to high school for Halloween, there's two people in costume, and they're both in the same costume. But one of them looks terrible, and the other one looks like he just stepped off the set of the movie. And so in the classroom and in the school, everyone is, like, teasing Mr. Cat. Like, what do you think? Did you lose a bet to Nathan? Like, how do you look like this? He looks awesome. Nathan, you're the man. And everyone's high-fiving Nathan because he looks great. Because what has happened in this story is that Mr. Cat has taken on, he's taken on the brunt of everyone's teasing. He's taken on, he's become the object of shame because he could handle it. And he took it on so that Nathan wouldn't. And this really is a picture of what we see Jesus do for Peter here in this story. Jesus has done this for Peter because... On the night before Jesus goes to the cross, he's with his disciples, and he looks around at them. We talked about this last week, but for a brief review, Jesus looks at these guys, and he says, look, you're all going to run away. He says that to his disciples. And Peter stands up, and he's like, even if they'll run away, I never will. And Jesus is like, oh, Peter, before the rooster even crows this morning, you're going to deny me three times. 
And Peter says, no, if I have to die, I will never deny you. And yet, a few hours later, Peter, after Jesus has been arrested, is sitting by a charcoal fire. And he's outside the courtyard where Jesus is being accused. And one after another, people begin to come up to to Peter and ask him if he is one of Jesus' disciples. And he denies it over and over and over again. And we said this last week, but the amazing, the amazing thing about this story of Peter and about how Jesus takes on the shame for him is that Jesus' response to Peter's failure, to Peter's guilt and the wrong that Peter does is Jesus goes to the cross for him. Jesus becomes the ultimate object of mockery and shame. He's beaten, he's stripped naked, he's spat on, he's taken out to the city dump, and nailed between two thieves, and he's crucified on a garbage dump in front of his mother, naked. That's what Jesus does for someone like Peter, who's run away from him, who's denied him. And then, amazingly enough, Jesus, when the angels are meeting the women at Jesus' tomb after Jesus has been resurrected, Jesus tells the angels to invite the disciples to go meet him in Galilee. But he doesn't just say, the the angels don't just say to the women, go tell the disciples to meet meet Jesus in Galilee like he said he would. Instead they say, go tell the disciples and Peter. As if to say, Peter has failed Jesus so much that he probably doesn't think that he's still in the crowd. But when you go, the angels are telling this to the women, When you go, will you please make sure that Peter knows he's still invited? Go tell the disciples and Peter. And so Peter and the disciples are back now in Galilee. It's where we pick up here in John 21. And at the beginning of John 21, we saw that Peter and the disciples, they're back, and Jesus shows up on the banks. And he calls out to them, and Peter recognizes who Jesus is, and he swims up to him. And when he swims up, he swims up to another charcoal fire. And there's only two places in the Bible where we see the Greek word for charcoal fire ever used. One in John 18 when, Jesus, when Peter is sitting there denying Jesus. And then again in John 21 when Peter walks up to the shore, this failed, denying, cowardice runaway... He walks up to the shore, and Jesus has set up the very place where Peter has most failed him. And Jesus says, come sit down and have breakfast with me. Jesus meets Peter in the place of his shame. And now he is going to restore Peter. That's what we're going to look at today. How Jesus restores Peter. And I want to look at just two things. First, what Peter is restored from, and second, what Peter is restored for. What he's restored from and what he's restored for. So first, what he's restored from. Peter is restored from guilt and shame in this story. Don't you see this? He is restored from the act, the thing that he has done that would bring him the most shame in, in sitting down at that fire with Jesus. But it's not something that's going to be easy, this restoration. In fact, it's painful. But that's how most good healing is. A lot of time, healing is something that hurts. 
And when we avoid the hurt, the problem actually gets worse. And so Jesus isn't going to let the, pro- the problem get worse. He's going to deal with it. Because if we don't deal with the problem of the thing that's hurting us, it gets worse. Did you all, did you all grow up reading those uh, Guinness Book of World Record books? You know what I'm talking about with like the crazy pictures that like, give you nightmares sometimes when you look at like the world's biggest beetle or whatever. You're like, oh my gosh. Like, I used to look at those all the time when I was a kid. In 1991, they had in the Guinness Book of World Records a picture of the world's largest tumor. Yeah. And you would think, like, how, okay, how could a tumor get that big? Like, you would think that if you had a, a tumor, like, you would go and get it taken care of pretty quickly. This tumor, after it was removed, weighed 303 pounds. It was removed um, at Stanford University in 1991. And when the patient left on the stretcher afterwards, they weighed only 210 pounds. So this tumor weighed over their entire body weight. And the reason that the tumor had grown so large is that the patient had a fear of doctors. They were afraid to go to a doctor. And so the problem just got worse and worse and worse until finally something was done. Maybe you've had... um, Something happened where you get like a splinter in your finger. I had this happen um, last year. I was playing basketball with my nephew, and he threw the ball to me, and there was like some wood in the ball. And so when I caught it, like a splinter just went like deep down into my, under my pinky fingernail, which sounds like not that bad. I mean, it's like a pinky finger, but like I acted like I had been shot by a bullet in my hand. <laughs> and... Chrissy's like, come, like, let me see you, let, let me look at it. And I showed it to her, and like the, the splinter was like pretty down. Like you could see it like through my fingernail. It was like down in there. And she's like, I'm sorry, I gotta dig it out. I'm like, no, it'll probably be fine. You know what? Like, it's just fine. Let's just like let me sleep on it for a little bit. Like, you know, just try. I was like, kind of entered this like hostage negotiation to try to get her to not dig into my finger with those um, tweezers that she had. And that have like the pokey thing at the end that are like the sharp tweezers that are like mean business, you know? And so, she, you know, she loves me, and she doesn't want my pinky finger to fall off. And so, which I don't know if that would actually happen, but maybe, who knows. Um, and so she digs down in there to get it out. Because to heal, something has to be brought to the light. Can't be left in the darkness. Can't just slap a Band-Aid over a dirty wound or a splinter and just hope that it's going to get better. It's, it's actually the worst thing that you can do for it. It's got to be cleaned out. And so what... Jesus does with Peter is he begins cleaning the wound. Jesus sits down after they've eaten breakfast and he asks Peter three times, do you love me? And that is very intentional that he does that. Because Jesus isn't just slapping the band-aid over Peter's guilt and shame, he's digging in and dealing with it. Because, and, and you can see actually that it hurts Peter too. You see in verse 17, Peter's grieved that Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? But you know what Jesus is doing is he's unwinding the three denials that Peter has just done at the other charcoal fire. You see, before, before Peter even went and sat down at that charcoal fire, Peter had claimed, even though all of those guys are going to run away, I never will. And so Jesus sits down and he says, Peter, do you love me more than them? Like, let's talk about this failure that you've had. Let's talk about how you've denied me. Do you love me? And he begins unwinding this, and he's allowing, he's allowing Peter to affirm, I've, yeah, I've failed you, but I still, I, I, I love you. 
And it's painful, though. And it hurts. And this is an important note, too. Before they even have this conversation, Jesus has already fed them. Remember I said this last week, if you weren't here, there's only two things that have happened ever at this, at the, the shore where they're meeting right now in the, in, in the Bible. One is in John 21 when Jesus appears to the disciples. Before that, though, the same, the same place in the Bible in, in John 6 when Jesus is feeding the 5,000 people, he feeds them fish and bread at the same place in Galilee. And so when Peter walks up to the place of his shame, Jesus has the same meal laid out for him, fish and bread again. It's the same breakfast. And what Jesus is doing is he's leading with grace. Before he ever begins asking Peter, do you love me, he first feeds him. The grace of Jesus precedes Peter's declaration of love. And the same is true for you if you're in Christ, if you believe in Jesus. That he leads with grace before even asking if you love him. And offers that to you. Jesus doesn't wait to see if Peter is committed to him. First, Jesus shows to Peter that he is committed to Peter. This is why, uh, if you ever use the the term, uh, I need to recommit my life to God, I I would suggest that you reconsider that term. It's not like... I'm not going to hell for using that term, okay? But, like, I just want you to think about what, what's the, um, what are we suggesting when we say, I need to recommit my life to God? Well, what's behind that, the reason why I think that phrase can be unhelpful is that it's, it assumes that our relationship with God is fundamentally based on our commitment to him. But your relationship to God is not fundamentally based on your commitment to him. Your relationship with God is fundamentally based on his commitment to you. And that's what we see here with with Jesus and Peter. So what if instead of using the word recommittal, we use the word repentance? Because that's what's happening here with Peter. And repentance is this. Repentance is owning your junk before a God who is ready to forgive. Owning your junk. Who you really are who I really am. I used to think repentance was this. I've been struggling with this bad thing. I've been disobeying. I'm going to turn from that bad thing and I'm going to turn towards the good thing and obeying and being better. So I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn from the bad, turn to the good. That's not repentance. The first half is I'm going to turn from what's hurting me, this this sin that I keep doing that I think is going to make me satisfied and leave me empty and it's, it's actually hurting me when I think it's helping me. I'm going to turn from that and I'm going to turn to not first obeying. I'm going to turn from the bad and I'm going to turn to Jesus where I find that there is grace offered. Where I find that he is for people like me who mess up and sin. And when we turn from our disobedience to Jesus, what we find is we find the steadfast love of a God who loves failures, of a God who offers grace in the very place where you have most failed him. And so what we see here is that Peter is restored. He's restored. He's not restored in the mind of God. In the mind of God, he was always still in. That's why Jesus tells the angels, hey, go tell the disciples and Peter to meet me here. But Peter is, Peter is restored in his own mind. 
he understands now that he's still in. But he never left God's mind. It's why Jesus says in John 10, 27 and 28, he says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Listen to what he says. This is so important. My sheep, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. If you are in his flock, if you are his child, nothing can snatch you from his hand. Nothing can snatch a sheep from the hand of the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. And so what Jesus is demonstrating to Peter is that Peter, even though he has failed, even though he is a sheep that has gone astray, he is still part of the flock. Because his relationship to the shepherd is not based on his commitment to the shepherd. It's based on the shepherd's commitment to the sheep. And my question for you is, do you know a security like this? We sing it all the time, but do you know that there is a love that will not let you go? Have you come to Jesus and owned all of your junk, knowing that you can actually do that and he'll accept you and give you his grace? Do you know what I think that would do? I think if we believed that, we would be much more peaceful people. I was talking about that with some students today. Like, I kind of walk around with a cloud of feeling like I haven't done enough just hovering over me. Whether it's I haven't done enough studying, I haven't done enough um, relationally, I haven't done enough spiritually, I kind of walk around with that cloud over me. And I think I, I, think I see that cloud over y'all too. It's why some of you feel like you've got to like volunteer for 10 million things, or it's why you're stressed out because you don't have like the perfect GPA, or it's why you, you, you're anxious at the party, because like the whole time it's like, am I doing enough socially? Am I doing enough academically? Am I doing enough of all of these things? And if what's, what, what we're seeing here in this passage, I just noticed I'm wearing white gloves, and that's ridiculous. But like what we're seeing in this passage, y'all, Because of what Jesus has done, that he has borne our shame on the cross. He has lived the perfect life that we cannot live. Then in him, you are enough and nothing can snatch you from the shepherd's hand. And so what he holds out to you is that he'll restore you. He'll restore you not just from your guilt and shame, but he will also restore you for something. He'll restore you for a life filled with meaning and purpose. That's what he holds out to you. A life filled with meaning and purpose. That's what Peter's restored for. It's my last point. Did you note what Jesus said every time Peter asks? Or I'm sorry, every time Jesus asks Peter if he loves him? Every single time, Peter, do you love me? He gives him some version of this, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, tend my flock. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. And what Jesus is showing us is that there is a direct correlation between loving Jesus, knowing his love for us, and caring for other people. There's a direct correlation between loving God and loving others. And this, this pushes against the idea that all we need is just me and Jesus. That all I really need is just like to have 
my God time, and then I'm good. That maybe, you know, I don't, I don't need the church. I'm good with just, you know, on Sundays, like my kind of worship is like to, to, to go on a run and like listen to some praise music in a sermon, and that's good for me. And that push, this pushes against that idea. I mean, which by the way, that idea, which is nowhere in the Bible. Categorically in the Bible, when we are reconciled and restored to a relationship with God, we're also restored to a relationship with his people. That's why Jesus is telling Peter, go feed my sheep. You're restored not relation, relationally, not just to me, but to my people. Peter gets this too. Later, in, in a, a couple weeks later in the book of Acts, after Pentecost, when he's going to proclaim the gospel, people respond. P- Peter gives the gospel message, and Peter, people respond and say, what shall we do? And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Well, what are those two things? Repent and be baptized. We just saw Peter repenting by the, the charcoal fire. Like, bring your junk to God. Repent. Turn away from your bad and turn to Jesus, where you'll find grace, repent. And he says, be baptized. Well, what's baptism? Baptism is an initiation ritual into the church, into the people of God. God isn't just restoring us to himself. He is also restoring us for something. He's restoring us for one another. And we find one another in this project that he's given us to love one another in his church. For not just the good of us, not just for the good of the church, but also for the good of the world. But see, the church exists for the good of the world. And by the way, RUF is not the church. Like, if, if this is the only religious thing that you come to, and that's kind of where you are right now, I'm so glad that you're coming. I hope you'll keep coming. I want to I encourage you to think about being part of a church. Being a part of a place to whom, like, you take vows to be part of. And whom you commune with over the Lord's Supper that Jesus has given you because he loves you and he wants you to be fed. And so he doesn't just call us to be restored to himself, but also to one another. And he tells Peter to feed people, to go out and feed the sheep. And the question is, what is this food that we give each other? And here's the thing. Um, Some of y'all heard me say this a lot, but I just think it's the best way to put it. What Christianity is, is it's one beggar telling another beggar where they found bread. What we like to do instead of that sometimes is to give people our own bread. Like, here's how awesome I am. Here's all the quiet times that I'm doing. Here's my Bible devotion plan. And if you'll just be like me or kind of listen to my good answers, then you'll be good. What Christianity is, is giving people the bread of life. Giving them Jesus. Pointing them to him. And so, how does that happen? How will people get the bread of life? You know how they'll do it? By seeing that you need it. Not by seeing that you're awesome, but by seeing like where your shortcomings are, where your weaknesses are. It's, it's not a coincidence that 
Jesus is telling people to feed, is, Jesus is telling Peter to feed people while he is graciously feeding P- Peter at this very place where Peter has most failed Jesus. He's like, hey, look, you know how I'm feeding you at the place of your failure right now? I want you to go out and take this to the world. People will see the bread of life by seeing your need for it. Maybe that means like if someone asks you about your faith or if you start, if you get into a conversation about religion with someone, instead of starting with all the things that are wrong with them and their views, instead of starting with all of the ways that they need Jesus, maybe we start with all the ways that we need Jesus. Maybe instead we start with our neediness and our weakness and our brokenness because that's what Peter had. His failure. He denied Jesus and Jesus made him like one of the leaders of the early church. And so, what this looks like is we take up the very kind of ministry that Jesus had. You see, the reason Jesus is the best shepherd, he is the good shepherd, is that he first became like a sheep. He became the lamb of God. He takes away the sins of the world. Before he was a shepherd, he became a sheep. And so if, our, if, if your ministry to your friends is going to look like this, if RUF is going to look like this, if a church is going to look like this, it means that sometimes following the good shepherd means following him into places that look like failure. And where people see your weakness. Jesus' ministry, his, in his ministry, his followers left him. He was beat up and he was killed. And he had a successful ministry. That's <laughs> really, like not the model that you, we think of when we think of like how we're going like to take the campus by storm. And yet, it was in his weakness where we see the resurrected Lord who is victorious. And so feeding other people the bread of life, it actually looks like laying down our life. It's why in verse 18 and 19, Jesus predicts what kind of death Peter is going to die. He predicts, he says it in kind of this like artful way. He says, um, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands. This is another way of saying you will be crucified. Another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. See, what ministry looks like, what Peter's ministry looks like, what our, if you're a Christian, what you're called to do is to do the most meaningful thing there is to do, to have a life purpose, which is this, not living for yourself, but instead laying down your lives for the good of others. That means like giving other people the best of what you have for their good. Like Peter was going to do that. The best of what he had was Jesus. And he's going to go do that. And he's going to give people, give that away to people, even though it was like going to be to his detriment and ultimately to his death. And so, and you know, you may not actually die for your faith. Maybe that'll happen. People, that happens to people in our world. But all of us can give away our best for the good of another. 
So I'll close with this story. Um, my mom is awesome. Some of y'all met her when she came to RUF a couple weeks ago. She's a sweet lady. She listens to all my podcasts, so she's listening to this right now. Hey, Mom. Um, when she, uh, she was like a pretty new Christian when she was, our, um, like, when we were kids. Uh, and she became a Christian. They, my mom and dad became Christians after they were married. And uh, she kind of had, as like a young Christian, like a lot of gusto and just like wanted to like go hard at this like Christian thing. And so she, you know, was reading all kinds of Christian books. And sometimes like the Christian books you read are, are like really theological and helpful and on point. And sometimes like they kind of veer a little bit. Y'all know this. So my mom, when we were kids, was like, we're not celebrating Halloween. Like, Halloween is, it is a devil holiday kind of idea, you know? I don't think she actually said those words, but that was kind of uh, what was inferred. And so at Halloween, our house was the house that when you came and knocked on the door, we would give you like a tiny piece of candy and a Bible tract about, like, this is... <laughs> This is, like, the truth about, um, like, what you really need to know. Like, you know, what's actually scary in Halloween is eternal damnation. Like, some kind of, like, tract like that. I don't know. But, like, <laughs> like have a happy Halloween. You know, here's a milk dud. Um, you know what my mom does now? Now that she more deeply sees both her need for Jesus her weakness and brokenness and the generosity of God to her through his son. My mom is now the king-size candy bar lady. Like when people come, every kid in Tuscumbia, Alabama is going to Gale Trap and Rusty Trap. That's my dad's name, Rusty Trap. Isn't that awesome? They're at Gale and Rusty Trap's house right now, and my mom actually puts the candy bars on her nicest silver, pla- silver platter. And all the king-size candy bars. And when someone knocks on the door, that's what she brings out. Because she's bringing, and you know what? That costs a little more money. It's like dying to yourself a little bit. But I'm going to give you the best because I've been given the best. And so, Christians, you know what we get to do? That's why we do stuff at NRUF like give away t-shirts, and eat pizza together, and celebrate. We have a theology of celebration and party. There is a true theology to that. We give away good things that we have for the good of others and for the world because God has given us his very life through his son. He has given us, he has given us life and a hope. And he offers that to you freely because he loves you. And so, what I, would, what I would encourage you to do, to consider, is to repent. To own your junk to him, knowing that he is ready to, to love you. If, if you've never done that before, I would love to talk to you about that. Or if you need to do that for like the 10,000 millionth time like me tonight, like, know that he is ready and willing and able to remind you that you're still in his flock, if you're his. So you can have peace. And joy. And we can go out and lay down our lives for the good of others. We can give them the best of what we have. Because the same has been done for us. Let me pray. Lord, thanks so much for...
the good news of the gospel, that you are a God who comes and meets sinners and restores them. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.